Let's pray, and uh, we'll get into God's Word. Father, as we uh, just gather together on this chilly morning, we pray for warmth in the church. The continued message, the so simple message to love one another as you have loved us. Father, that simple message continues to be one of the most challenging. Um, we, we admit that we want to hide and withdraw, that we struggle socially sometimes, that we are, are challenged in these ways. Uh, so Lord, it's you that's got to do the work in us. It's you that's got to do the work to uh, draw us, uh, not to just have peaceful lives, but just to have, to have lives filled with love for one another, to love our neighbor. You've not called us to, to just have peace with our neighbor. You've called us to love our neighbor, to be active, uh, to love those that are sitting next to us, around us. Lord, if there's any unforgiveness that keeps this from happening, if there's any bitterness, a root of bitterness, or anything, Lord, that quenches your spirit in our lives, we pray that you would um, just dig that out, Lord. Show it to us and root it out for us. And especially, Lord, I pray for the marriages this morning as we study your plan for marriage and creation of, of man and, and woman. And Lord, we know that so many marriages are struggling right now. Many possibly in this room right now struggling with, within their marriage. And um, help them, Lord, to figure out what's wrong, to humble themselves, to obey your word, to understand what marriage is for and what it's not for, what it is and what it isn't. Lord, we're so thankful we can go back to your word, back to the beginning. Just as Jesus takes us back to the beginning to see what it was like uh, from the start so that we can know what it's supposed to be like until the end. So Lord, thank you for your word. Open it, uh, open our eyes to see wondrous things from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. Now if you uh, think like many of us do chronologically, you might be a little bit confused by Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 which, by the way, may be a heading over Genesis chapter 1 would be, it's all good. Right? We say that as kind of a, a saying we have, hey, it's all good. Well, Genesis chapter 1, God made it, you know, we go through the six days of creation, the seventh day God rests, uh, end of the sixth day, man, it's all good. It's very good. So uh, we end with the, we, chapter 2, we looked at the uh, day of God rested on the seventh day and sanctified it. His work was complete, and so he rested and then we pick up in chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the, uh, any plant of the, field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. Now, wait a second. I thought we did that already. Well, if you think chronologically, that's why you'd be confused because the Bible is not necessarily written in a chronological way, nor did it... Did it the Hebrew mind think necessarily chronologically. So what we have in chapter 2 is a magnifying glass or a highlighting of the sixth day of creation, specifically the creation of, of man and woman. So uh, think about it as chapter 1 gives the overview. Chapter 2 then begins to focus us in on some things, some details that were left out of the creation of man and woman from chapter 1. Does that, that, hopefully that will help you make more sense of this. Uh, by the way, in, in chapter 1, the, the uh, 
uh, we see a lot about God. God did this and God did that. And that's the, the Hebrew word Elohim. We come to chapter 2 and we see in verse 4, uh, in, that day, uh, in the day that the Lord God made, the heaven, uh, made, made earth and the heavens. And that's uh, Jehovah Elohim. It's the first time we have that use of the specific uh, name for God, the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. So this is the history, this is the genealogy, this is where it all began. The heavens and the earth were created, and in that day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And, and so it goes back to before any of the plants were made, and the, and the field um, was, was filled with those things. And it says, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. So there was no, no rain at that time. We talked about the vapor canopy, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So again, giving us a little bit, uh, it's very hard to know how these things were. Everything changed at the flood. Um, we'll get into that when we get to the, to the flood part of Genesis. But at that time, there was sort of this um, uh, a mist, uh, a dew uh, that went up uh, from evap. There was localized evaporation evidently, and, and that's what caused everything to have this sustained level of moisture. He does mention tilling. There was no man to till the ground. So although God created everything, said it was good, there was still a work to be done in the garden. So we'll get to that as, as we continue through. So there was no man to till. A mist went up from the face of the earth, watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That is a huge, uh, hugely important verse. We know from chapter 1 that God created man in his own image. In his image, he created them. Male and female created he them. Uh, both in the image of God. Both created to be spiritual. Both created to worship. Both created with an understanding of eternal things. But this gives some more detail. Um, now we know that God formed the man first. And they were formed differently from one another. Here we see God kind of gathering up the, the, the earth, which is an interesting fact because you'd think when God made mankind, he would have made us out of something special like stardust or something. You know, we'd be created from some cool materials. But if you do the science, if you do the research, you'll find out that we're created out of the same elements that dirt is made out of. Matter of fact, that's important to God. Uh, he knows that. And I quoted here. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. And he created us out of that dust, which is pretty miraculous that, again, you'd think that we'd be made out of some special material but we have the same stuff in us that's in the dirt. Isn't that encouraging? Do you feel special now? We're dirt. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. And, and this is the thing to me that um, is, is so challenging to um, the theory of evolution, so challenging to the idea of abiogenesis, um, how life began. And, and that's a that's an area I've spoke about before, but here we see God breathing the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. 
and it sort of and it animates him, and he became a living being. The, the law of biogenesis, I briefly touched on it a few weeks ago, states, and this is a law, this is something we see universally all over the globe, all throughout history, that life always begets life. Life comes from life. Always. Can you think of any situation where life comes from something that's dead? It, it never, you will never find it. That's why it's not just the theory of biogenesis, it's the law of biogenesis. Always happens that way. So what I like about this is that we know that God is self-existent. He is the giver of life. He is the one, the originator of life. And to animate mankind to give us life, he gives us his life. And we become alive. Now that, to me, makes more sense than there was a bunch of stuff and somehow, by chance, it just and maybe a spark of lightning, uh, that's Frankenstein kind of stuff. Right? Frankenstein puts all the pieces uh, of corpses together, sews them all up, exposes it, lightning strikes, and he says, ah, oh, it's just alive. You know, it comes, that's like science fiction. That's not science. That's science. Look, life coming from non-life is science fiction. Life coming from life is science. And that's why I love to talk about to people the law of biogenesis. So I'll leave you with that to research it. Uh, aliens makes more sense than life coming from goo and just spontaneously uh, arriving. You know, it's one thing to have a bunch of elements together, a bunch of, you know, uh, building blocks. It's, an, it's one thing to then take those building blocks and put them all together to make a bigger unit. But life, to make those, that bigger unit alive, to have it have uh, the elements that, that, that make for life, that's a whole different thing. Reproduction, respiration, those kind of things. Um, that doesn't happen by chance. So aliens makes better sense. Uh, this makes better sense. Uh, you really have to stretch by faith to believe that life came from nothing. So that's just my commentary on it. But this is what the Bible clearly says. Where does our life come from? It comes from God. He breathed his life into us. We were created differently than the animals. This is, uh, God didn't say this about any of the animals. He formed them from, from the earth, or the, the earth gave birth to them, so to speak. He formed them by his word. But it's only mankind that he's, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So um, no mention of the woman yet. We'll get to her. The Lord God planted a garden eastward, verse 8, in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground... The Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First use of the word evil in the Bible. So it seems that God now takes a special care for a certain spot, which we have no idea where it is. No idea where Eden is. We get some markers here, but the problem is all of those markers were disrupted by the flood. So we'll talk about the rivers and, and whatnot in a few, few verses. But for now, just suffice it to say, we really don't know precisely where the Garden of Eden would have been. But we know it was a place that God specially made for... And I can I just picture God, you know, kind of putting his hands over Adam's eyes and leading him to the garden and removing his hands and going, ta-da, you know, and Adam, whoa, wow, that's amazing. And he, puts, he makes this special place and he puts Adam there. And all the trees, and, and I love this, he made food. Like he made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight. So he made beautiful trees. 
And, and, and not only that, but they're good for food. Now, he could have made trees ugly, right? And he could have made food taste terrible. He did make broccoli, though. I like broccoli, but some people don't. Food is fuel for the body. God made all these things to fuel Adam's body, to be fuel. And, and then we turn it into these, these laws. And I want, you to, I want you to see here, God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the, these things were for, for our nourishment. And to me, it's, I look around the world at the grocery stores. It is amazing how much food is produced from the earth. I mean, absolutely. Like, you think you got Food Line here, Walmart up at Zion's Cross. So think about how many grocery stores in Charlottesville. Has anybody ever been to Wegmans? That place is huge. And now think about, multiply that by every city across the United States and how many grocery stores are filled with food. And then multiply that by all around the world. It's amazing. And now some people have speculated, well, are we going to have enough food as we're over 9 billion people now on the face of the earth and there's people starving in a variety of places? And will the planet be able to produce enough food to sustain the increasing population of our earth? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. The problem is there would have to be an even consumption, meaning that there's plenty of food as long as everybody only eats what they need and not what they want. And that's the challenge for the Western world, for the developed world, is that we consume more than our share. So my little commentary on that. Um, God gave Adam all these trees for food. He didn't have, there was no food lion. There was a lion and there was food, but they weren't one at that time. But then there's these two trees that are mentioned that, again, I think any, any attempt to explain what these things are and, un, and understand them is, is sort of speculative. This tree of life, and, and we know that we see this in Revelation. Uh, was it by, I can't believe it'd be by eating the fruit that, that would sustain Adam's life because he dies because of disobedience. So I can't, you know, and then God kicks him out of the garden so he doesn't have access to the tree of life. So how did that work? What was the fruit of that tree like? And then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, is it that you eat the fruit and, and, and that would somehow produce a wisdom? Or, and this I think is a better idea, that because God makes this tree, this is the tree that's going to be commanded, Adam, all these trees you can eat, don't eat that one. That... This is the tree that's going to reveal through Adam's disobedience that Adam had a knowledge of good and evil. That he, he chose to, to disobey God and it was, this tree was sort of at the center of that. Uh, I, I don't, your guess is as good as mine. Um, but these are the two trees that are specifically mentioned in the garden. Verse 10 says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first was Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush, uh, down in Ethiopia now, but don't know where it was then. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. So, so some of those... Hidekel is also another word for the Tigris. Uh, we recognize some of these names. It's quite possible that before the flood, you know, they had these names for the rivers. Then after the flood, everything, the landscape changes. 
but they, they rename everything based on the things they were familiar with before the flood. So the places could have changed, but the names stay the same. Again, uh, anything we can say about that is speculation. Tigris and Euphrates, you know, we were familiar with those uh, in the Fertile Crescent there um, in, in the land of Iraq. Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, he could have put him in there to chill and enjoy it, right? There's a, God created lounge chair, God created television, and there was Adam just with baskets of fruit sitting back in his recliner, just basking in the, the glorious perfect temperatures and perfect environment. And, Ad, and there's God just caring for Adam that way. But that's not what he did. He gave Adam what? Work. It's good to work. It's work is part of the plan from the beginning. Now, there were no weeds, right? Weeds don't come until after the curse, after the fall. So there's no weeds, but maybe there was pruning to do. Maybe there was, we saw about tilling the ground, you know, that God created these things with seed and then Adam would then continue perpetuating and planting seed and, and having dominion over the earth. But one of the things I want to mention here is it's really good for people to work. Before I was a pastor, uh, my, my first occupation was as an occupational therapist, similar to a physical therapist, but based on the premise that uh, work is good therapy for people. So you give people work to do, it's good for their mind, it's good for their body, it's good for their soul, good for their spirit. The Bible says, actually in the, in the New Testament, Paul says, let him who stole steal no more. Rather let him work with his hands something that's good so that he has something to give him who has not or him who has nothing. So we see biblically part of the reason if you can work, that gives you an ability to not ha just have for yourself, but to give something to someone else who can't or who, who, uh, has, it, uh, who has less. And I like that. I think work is, is a very important thing. I think it goes back to the garden. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Right? So don't complain about work. Give thanks for it. Adam had work. And I still think tending the garden, getting out, getting your hands in the dirt is, is a really important thing, a really good thing. We're losing touch with the earth, losing touch with the soil. Um, but this is the beginning for Adam. He's got a work to do for the Lord, work to do uh, in the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, first command, saying, of every tree of that garden, you may freely eat. So that's the first part of the commandment. And that's important. We overlook that, right? The first part of the commandment is, Adam, you can eat anything you want. I mean, look around you, Adam. Whatever you see, it's all for you to enjoy. Isn't that great? Every, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So a couple things to notice there. And it's so like us, you know. It's so, there's all these things that you can eat, but there's one thing that I want you to leave alone. Now, one of the ways it, Adam and Eve were created in, in the image of God is with free will. Does God not have sovereignty and free will? God has free will. He decides what he's going to, he has, he has personality uh, he's only restricted by his own character, right? There are certain things that God will not do because it's against his character. He cannot deny himself. He will never break a promise. 
even though he has free will, as part of his free will, he determines that who I am is one that does never break a promise. He de- he never, he'll never change. But God creates man with free will in his image. So, because you, know, you wonder, well, why would God create a tree and then tell Adam not to eat it? I mean, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Think about the, the thousands he created that Adam could eat. But this one, he says, Adam, I don't want you to eat that. He's given Adam free will. But the only way free will can be exercised is in, in the face of a choice, right? I mean, it's one thing to say you have free will, but only have one choice. Then that doesn't really demonstrate uh, uh, the free will, the ability to choose. So, it, look, one of the other parts about love, what is essential to love, any love relationship, and I'm speaking to you the day after Valentine's Day, the essential part of any love relationship is freedom. Freedom is at the heart of love. And God loves Adam. And therefore, God has to give Adam a choice to love him or not. Otherwise, it would never be love. Forced love, manipulated love, are not love at all. Would you agree with that? The essential aspect of love is freedom to choose. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm still, 20, Helga and I have been married 20 years. I still can't believe she chose me. I still can't believe it. It's the greatest miracle of my life is that uh, my wife chose me. And I know a lot of guys in here married up, right? (laughs) Any other guys in here marry up? I know I did. So he gives this tree, uh, all I can think of is is gives Adam this choice, whether or not he's going to trust God, whether or not he's going to obey God, whether or not he's going to rely on God for for wisdom. And he doesn't say, the day you eat of it, I'm going to kill you. The, The punishment is inherent in the disobedience. The day you eat of it, you'll die. The, the, the punishment, the judgment, you could say, is inherent, is inherent in the sin. The sin itself carries a consequence, and that consequence, built in by God, is, uh, is the judgment on, on the disobedience. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat of it, uh, you're not supposed to eat of it, but in the day you do, you'll surely die. Now, Hold on to that. Who's there? Who's there? Right? Is Eve there? No. Adam is there by himself. God speaks to Adam, gives him the commandment. All right, hang on to that. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he, had made, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So very familiar territory for most of you. Let's backtrack. Uh, he gives Adam the command, and then it's the first time uh, we see that it's, something is not good. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. So 
there's a lot of commentary on, on what this was all about, what the purpose of marriage is. Um, a lot of people will say, well, marriage is, is to uh, combat loneliness. Now, do you th- I'm not sure. I don't think Adam was lonely. I think he had God. And I want to say this to you all as well as we, as we go through this passage. Biblically, singleness is held in, in very high regard in the New Testament. Jesus himself was single. So if somehow marriage completes you, if Adam was incomplete and needed to be married, then that would be a bad commentary on people that are single. That would be a bad commentary on Jesus himself, who was single. And Paul himself says, hey, there is a great benefit to remaining single. Why? Because you get to just serve the Lord with your whole life. You, don't, you know, when you get married, there are certain things that come with being married. There are certain obligations, marital obligations. Paul says, render to one another the affection that's due each other. If, if that's not what you want, if you're a selfish person, then don't get married. It's easy. Be single, work it out with the Lord, and, and go that direction. Because marriage comes with some obligations. And so, but he, he says it's not good that man should be alone. Now, he's just given Adam work to do. Now, yesterday, now, I, I, my wife is unique in a lot of ways, um, Many women for, uh, for Valentine's Day or birthdays, they want, you know, flowers or jewelry. My wife wants to cut trails through the woods. So which is cool because I get to buy her a chainsaw for Valentine's Day. It's for you, honey. Have fun. No. But so we head out yesterday, Valentine's Day. Honey, what do you want for Valentine's Day? You know. Not earrings, not flowers, not jewelry. I want to cut trails. So we fire up the chainsaw and out we go into the woods to start cutting trails. And it was just cool because I was thinking about this passage all day. And there we are out there together cutting trails. And like I'd go to cut a tree is leaning over this way. And I'd start cutting it and it'd lean over and pinch the saw blade. And I'd say, hey, honey, could you, you know, push it that way a little bit? And she'd push it and I'd cut it through. And it was teamwork. And then we, could, we got done and we looked back at the trail like, oh, look at the trail. Let's walk back the trail together. And so I'm, I'm not convinced that Adam was somehow incomplete. He had the Lord God. He had relationship with God in the garden. But God is spirit. And I think that, this, that God has given Adam work to do, tend and keep the garden. And I, I think the purpose of giving, uh, of him saying that it's not good for man to be alone, what if Adam fell down in the garden? And what about sleeping at night? What if it got chilly at night? And this is what Ecclesiastes says. He says two are better than one, right? Because they have a good return for their labor. A partnership, teamwork. You can get a lot done with two. If one falls down, the other can lift him up. If one gets cold, the other can keep him warm. If they come under attack, which again, you know, that's not happening here, but you get the idea, then, then they can protect each other. Even to this day, uh, sociologists, psychologists will tell you and I, it is not good. You're not meant to be isolated. You're, whether it's through marriage or through community. They, nowadays, the, the um, penitentiary system, the penal system, puts a lot of people in solitary confinement. And they're still doing research on how damaging that is to the mind of a person when they're stuck in solitary confinement in an 8x10 box for 23 hours a day. 
they're, they're, and I, I watched a documentary on this out in Colorado. There's a whole prison that has, that everybody there is in solitary confinement. And they're so desperate, the inmates are, for human contact. They're there for 8, 10, 12, 15 years, 23 hours a day in an 8 by 10 box. They come out one hour a day for exercise, which is they're in a 15 by 15 box, and they can walk in a bigger circle. Even when they put the handcuffs on them, they have to stick their hands through the back of the door. They get handcuffed. There's no contact. And it, and it starts to, actually, they're seeing that it has a terrible effect on their mind. They're so desperate for communication that they develop a system of folding papers up and attaching them to strings. They call it fishing. And they'll, they'll fold that paper up, and, and they'll throw it under their door when the guards aren't looking. And then another inmate in another door throws his out and catches that note and drags it back into his cell. They're desperate for communication. They're desperate for contact. And they'll even act out. They'll even uh, get in trouble on purpose just to be touched. Even if it's a negative touch, just to be touched. So, you know, I understand introversion. I understand people are introverted and some are extroverted. And I understand there's there's a gamut, there's a spectrum of these things. But you were not created to be alone. You're not created to be isolated but sometimes because of selfishness, sometimes because of bitterness, sometimes because of fear, we isolate ourselves. And even coming in here for some of you is like totally pressing the envelope, isn't it? I mean, because you're just people. But you may not be able to live with us, but you can't live without us. And this is where he says it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates, and we'll get into that in a little bit, how he created Eve. But it's not good that man should be alone. Um, I think... The, the perfect marriage idea, the perfect marriage scenario is when two people are serving the Lord together as a team. If you can't work as a team, because the word, this, this, is, this is fascinating. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now that translation, it's etzer kinegdo is the, and I'm probably saying that, I'm probably butchering that like crazy, but you don't know anyway, so go with me on that. But I, I, all yesterday, you know, Helga will tell you, uh, you know, she, I married up. Did I mention that I married up? All yesterday, I was walking around. We were cutting the trails, and I kept calling her Etzer Konegdo uh, because that's what this is in Hebrew, a helper comparable. The word helper is Etzer in Hebrew, and it means strong. or It, it speaks of power in that. that um, so it's not weakling, although physically we talk about the difference between the sexes, male and female. I think most of us in here would agree Women are strong, and in some ways stronger than men. Women have some tremendous strength, and I've seen some women in here go through some things, and somebody agrees with me. Thank you over there. See, I, I, women are strong. Amen. So, but the strength of women in the church, the strength of women, that, I mean, where would the church be without the work that the women do in the church, in the body of Christ? So the first word, the, the word uh, helper is a strength. So God made for Adam, I will make him a strength comparable to him, not below him, not above him, comparable to him. Now, what does that mean? It, it means, uh, now, it, the, the way you interpret this is there's only two places this Etzer Kinegdo shows up in exactly that configuration, and it's here in verse 18 and in verse 20. Only two places in the Bible. So sometimes to interpret a word, you need to know where it's used in other contexts. So outside of the Bible and Hebrew writing, um, it is used to describe the relationship between a crime and a punishment. In other words, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, 
um, uh, you reap what you sow. The punishment is equal to the crime. And it's used of a scale. So you have a big scale, and on this side you put something, you put a weight, and then so to balance it out on this side, you put an equal weight. It's on the other end of the spectrum, it's all the way over here, but it's equal to what's on this side. And that's what this etzer konegdo means, that this helper, comparable, means I'm going to make him a strength equal to him. Now I'm not sure if that's how you've heard it related before, but that's what it means. Um, it's, it, some have called it a counterpart. When marriage works best is when you recognize this. God doesn't say, I'm going to create him a slave and a gopher. That Adam can sit around the garden and say, honey, could you get me this? Honey, could you get me that? Honey, could you get me this? But he created Eve, the helper, with some tremendous strengths of her own. They're, they're equal, but they ain't interchangeable. And I think we do a great disservice when we try to, to think that men need to be feminized and women need to be masculinized. I think the best is when we all appreciate how in the world we were created individually. The strengths that we have, that's what makes a marriage strong. The challenge is people feel like they're going to marry someone just like them. Or we're going to get divorced because we have irreconcilable differences. Right? That's how God created you. You have differences that ain't going to be reconciled. But they have to be utilized. And when they're utilized, a marriage works great. When you appreciate, look, and, and we're gonna, we'll talk about headship of the home. And you know, This is the challenge. When God creates two people equal with tremendous strengths in their life, and they don't work as a team, the whole thing explodes. If they work against each other, I tell, when I do weddings, I tell people two are better than one, but not always. I've seen some two that were way worse. I mean, it's, in, it's inhibiting when two people work against each other, when they're both out for themselves, when they have their own agenda. That's why having, knowing what God has called you to do as a couple and then doing that together for him, having that ultimate goal together in mind, serving the Lord together and not serving self, that's when it works. When kids get into marriage and go, well, you know, they're gonna, somehow this person is going to complete me. No, 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 no. That's not going to work. Somehow I'm, I'm, I need them in my life. No, 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 no. Don't do that to them. They can't be God for you. You need God. God makes you whole. Marriage doesn't make you whole. God makes you whole. And then you're free to love. And so when two become one, as we'll get to, and when they work together as a team, serving the Lord, listen, Serving the Lord, not trying to get from the other what they need. Not trying to get, that's the, the most damaging thing in a marriage is when I'm trying to get something that I need from you. My goal in life, and, and uh, I want to not be needy. That's what it means to be blessed, is to be not needy. To have the Lord so filling your life that you have no, I have no needs. Now again, it's not good that I'm alone. It's not, it, it's, I, I need in some sense, I need fellowship. I need relationships. But I'm not needy of them, needy from them. Does that make sense? Am I, I'm, maybe I'm speaking in circles. It wouldn't be the first time that I mentioned I married up. Etzer connect. I will make him a strength or a power equal to him. And so now, this is, what, this is God sort of speaking to himself. And verse 19, out of the ground, uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, or he had done that. And he brings them to Adam, and he has this parade in front of Adam. And he lets Adam name them. 
And whatever Adam called each living creature, that's what it was. The first biologist. So Adam gave names to the cattle, the birds of the air, every beast of the field. And, and as Adam watched these animals go by in their little pairs, what did he find out? There was not a helper comparable to him. There goes dog. Adam says, can that be my best friend? God said, nope, Adam. Not comparable. Not equal. Not created in God's image. Only man created in God. There goes horse. Nope, sorry, Adam. So he's given Adam a a chance to see that there's nobody like him in the animal world. And then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. This is the first marriage, the first wedding, where God himself is presiding over the wedding, and God is giving away the bride to the husband. And what, I mean, it's hard to imagine. What a picture. I did read an interesting article because the way that God chose to do this, why couldn't he have just made Eve out of the dirt like he made Adam? I mean, that would have been reasonable to do, right? Why this whole rib thing? Why do it that way? We see that Adam and Eve were created both in the image of God, but not created the same uh, way. So uh, this is, um, do with this what you will. I just found it interesting. This is from the American Journal of Hematology. Okay, let me say that again. This is from the American Journal of Hematology. They're doing studies on stem cell research. And you know, one of the places to get the best stem cells is a rib. And again, Journal of Hematology. Carefully reading Genesis 2, uh, one is impressed by the fact that man man and woman originated via two different modalities. Man from the dust of the ground breathed into his, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Woman from the rib taken from, uh, from man or from Adam while he was sleeping. The analogy between Adam's sleep and anesthesia, as in a surgical procedure for a bone marrow transplant, is striking. Also striking is that the two events, the origin of man and of woman, are not com- uh, comparable. Adam's origin is not discussed at present, as nowadays it seems to belong to the sphere of divinity and as such is inaccessible to scientific knowledge, whereas women's origin is a suitable subject for science. The recent discovery or rediscovery of stem cells in bone marrow and their application in regenerative medicine would seem to support the hypothesis that the, the development of science could be predicted from the story of Adam's rib. Surprisingly, the progress of science in turn may lead us to look again into the narrative of our evolutionary ancestry. Let me translate that. We could have guessed what kind of science would come in the future based on looking back at Genesis, if you looked at these things from a scientific standpoint. That's just the Journal of Hematology. I just found it interesting. God could have done it any way he wants. Any way you slice it, it was a miracle. But uh, I just found that fascinating. God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Uh, He takes one of the ribs and closes up the flesh in its place. So Eve is going to be taken from Adam. She's going to come out of him. And then she will then give birth, ultimately, to every future human being on the face of the earth through her. God closes up the place. He makes, he forms, he builds, literally he builds woman and brings her to the man. And a beautiful scene. And Adam said, and he sees Eve. 
he says, ah, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. All the animals didn't cut it. But when he sees Eve, yeah, this one's for me. That's, you know, a lot of people say that's, whoa, man, that's why she got her name, you know. She must have been a looker. She shall be called woman, which is Isha in Hebrew, because she was taken out of man or Ish. So there's a connection. She literally took his name. She literally took his name, Ish and Isha. So Adam sees uh, that this is, she is like him. They are made, you could literally say, it was a match made in heaven. They were made for each other. And then, of course, you guys are familiar with this verse. Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One of the biggest problems in marriage, in-laws. Did you know that? Finances is a huge reason for divorce. One of the seconds is in-law problems. You know, with in-laws getting their hands in and getting involved in, God's got it right. By the way, Adam doesn't, there's no fathers and mothers yet, right? So this is obviously predictive and prescriptive for the future. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Uh, They're going to start their own thing together. So mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, stay out of it. Let them work it out. When she calls and says, I'm leaving him, you kick her back. You know, get back there. Work it out. Open your Bible. Pray. Figure it out. Humble yourself. Submit. Whatever it is, you know, work this thing out together. Don't, don't be coddling and don't get in the way. A man shall leave his father and mother and to become the head of his own family and be joined or glued to, glued to his wife. Jesus refers back to these things, doesn't he? I mean, we have to know this because there's so many questions about marriage. And there's so many, you, you, when you want to know how it's supposed to be, you go back to the beginning. Because all through the Bible, we see polygamy. We see all kinds of idolatry. We see um, homosexuality. We see all these things, uh, sex outside of marriage, fornication. All these things are departures from God's original intent. And sometimes we get so far away from the origin that we forget what's right and wrong in the first place. And so the Bible grounds me and grounds you so that I know, so that we, this is how we stay anchored. We know what truth is. And this, don't just blame me. This is what Jesus said. They talked about divorce. Is it right for a man to, to, to divorce his wife for just any reason? And because Moses had allowed for it and he said, look, he quotes chapter 1. In the beginning, God created man, male and female. Created man and woman. And then he says they, that uh, the man shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is how it was from the beginning. You can read it for yourself in Matthew 19. So then, he says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So what does Jesus do? He goes back to the beginning. Listen as I go on. They said to him, when, why then did Moses give a, command, uh, give a certificate of divorce to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Does that make sense? Look, life is hard. Relationships are hard. 
And, and, I've, and I, I see the struggles. We know the struggles. And, and divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Sometimes it's just really hard to work it out. And I get it. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt over a long time. But I think all of us have to know that from the beginning, it wasn't so. God made us to be joined to our, the man to be joined to his wife. So whatever you want to define marriage as, and I'm going to, you know, you guys know the current controversies and difficulties. Um, this is where it starts. So you, you're, you're, your challenge is not with me as the pastor. Your challenge is with the word of God. And, and that's something you have to work out for yourselves. It's clearly a man, clearly a woman, clearly created differently, clearly created um, it, not interchangeably, clearly created to be fruitful and multiply, which is not possible in a same-sex marriage. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined or glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And I want to just leave you with a picture because sometimes it helps me to, to uh, envision things. How many of you guys, well, don't raise your hand, but some of you have watched Dancing with the Stars. Uh, that's a real popular show. And, and just watching people dance together. When, I remember being in high school or being in middle school, and you see a middle school dance, and man, is that awkward, isn't it? Like, man, they don't know how to do that thing. They just, you know, it's really aw- stepping on each other. That is awkward, right? It's, but then you watch uh, two people that have been dancing together for years and lots of hours and lots of practice and, and all that dancing is, they resp- there's, subtle, there's subtle movements and there's subtle signals that are given, each responding to the other. The Bible says that we should be submissive in a marriage, submissive one to another. And it's like a, marriage is like a dance. One person makes a move one way and the other then counters that move and, there's a, and, and as you become one, you don't start as one, I mean, you are one, spiritually speaking, but it takes time to figure that out, to begin to work together. And couples that have been married 30, 40, 50 years, you, you watch, and they've just figured out how to not step on each other's toes, right? they figured out how to work together. And when you watch a marriage that works beautifully together, they just, you can complete each other's sentences. You just can see that, that there's a oneness. And it's like that picture of that beautiful couple dancing together. Seamlessly, they're two people, but they're moving as one, aren't they? And I think you've got to always keep that in your mind as a goal. When you start to argue with each other, when you start to fight with each other, it's Satan that wants you on opposite teams. God has put you together on one team. He's made two strengths, both strong, both with their unique set of gifts, both with their unique personalities, and then he's put us together. He takes Eve out of Adam, then he puts them back together to complete the picture. Both of them, it takes two to, to fully... Uh, envision the image of God. Jesus was the only perfect man in that he, he was able to totally encompass the, the, um, the personality of God in one being, in one male being. But it, for us, it takes, God is, in some ways has this compassion of a female and the, and the strength of a man and these things together create that picture. And he puts us together, one man, one woman for life. That's, that's the ideal if you, I'm going to invite Nick to come up now. I'm, I'm running a little bit long, and, I'm, and I apologize. I wanted to get through that. Um, and I don't know where you are in your relationships. I don't know where you are. This is why death hurts so much of a spouse, because God has made two one. 
And whenever that's broken, whether it's by divorce or by death of a spouse, it's painful. It's painful. And I don't know where you guys are uh, this morning. Um, but marriages, strong marriages are the strength of the church, aren't they? And, and again, this is not meant to condemn. If you've been divorced, then whatever, if you, get, if you stay single, praise the Lord. That's, that is commendable before God. If you choose to get remarried, be smart about it. Marry in the Lord and recognize that it's for life, that you're glued to your spouse, welded together, more literally. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how your word is impacting all those that sit here and and the the challenges that are unique to human life on earth, Lord. We uh, we know that this, that sin has so challenged things for us. Our flesh is challenged. And Father, I pray for healing in, um, in marriages, healing in hearts, healing in uh, even for those that have, um, have had the marriage bond broken by death, Lord, the pain that, that is caused there um, of losing a dance partner. Lord, we know that's not that what you created it to be. That all of those things, death, divorce, any kind of departure is all due to sinfulness, Lord. We confess that. We're thankful for forgiveness and we're thankful that you fill us with your spirit. Lord, be the lifter of our countenance, the helper to our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.